Hi, I'm Chris Hutchings and I'm your host. Welcome to the 10Q Interview Podcast. In today's episode, I talk to digital PR expert and side hustling candle maker, Mr. Alex Hickson. Trust me when I tell you, this is a great episode. I have followed Alex on social media for a long, long time. And like most people, I build up a perception of what someone's like in my mind. Alex, I thought I knew from his social postings. Turns out I had no idea. His knowledge on politics, on candle making, on digital PR, on management, leadership, thoughts about people in the workplace is incredibly interesting. Furthermore, his his side hustle story about his candles is excellent. If you're into thinking about starting up your own business, your own side hustle, I promise you, you'll be totally inspired listening to this. Okay, I do need to give you a bit of a heads up before we kick off. We had some big issues with Alex's audio and you will notice it. However, what I will say is this, it does get better as the episode progresses and also I've had several people give it a listen as I wasn't going to put it out and they all said a variation of the same thing. And that thing was, Alex was such a terrific guest and the stories he told and the anecdotes he shared were so amazing that after five minutes or so, you will stop noticing it. And I've listened to it several times, actually, and I do agree. Hopefully, you'll give it a chance. I honestly don't think you'll regret it. If this is your first time here, I wish you a very, very warm welcome. I hope you enjoy this podcast. I'm sure you're going to. Let me know your favourite bit on social media, at 10Q Interview, everywhere you may look. And don't forget to hit subscribe or follow, whatever you're listening to this. It would also mean the world to me if you do enjoy it, if you do get some value from this episode you'd consider leaving a review on your podcast platform, star rating, whatever it might be. That, you know, this in this day of day and age of algorithms, it's important. And if I want to grow the podcast, silly little things like this, which I know is a stress for you and taking time out of your day. But like I said, if you got some value out of it, if you enjoyed it, it'd be a little way of saying thank you. But that's not the only ask. It would also mean the world to me, and I'm sure Alex too, if you share this episode far and wide, there is probably at least one person you'll think of when listening to this who would also benefit from hearing it. So make sure to let them know. Anyway, now onto the podcast. Alex Hickson, welcome to 10Q Interview. Thank you for joining me this morning. How are you, sir? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Have you have you done many podcasts? I see. I see. I feel like I feel like I've heard you about on a few. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm building up a bit of a repertoire of them now. But it's only um, I feel like I've done quite a few in like quick succession. But they've all kind of been slightly different. So I think this is um, okay. obviously when we were chatting, it's like a a bit more of a deep dive, I guess, isn't it? A bit a bit more uh-huh. holistic I than just so. super super work focused or focused about a particular topic or something like that. So. So yeah, I'm yeah. Going, really. I, I wanted I wanted to be about I wanted to be about the people as opposed to the work. Like, it's because that, that's where people learn from, right? That's where people get the insights on what someone's like. So yeah, that's good, I guess. Right, let's crack straight in with number question. Well, it's question number one then, Alex. You meet a stranger and they ask you what you do. What is it you're most likely to say to them? Um, I would say that I work in the media. Or working PR, or I think the way I usually explain it is I help brands and businesses get press coverage through loads of different means. But then I'd also say I own a business slash I'm a candlestick maker. <laughs> and I guess now, 
podcaster as well. Although that would definitely be the the third and final one. I might probably admit, to be honest. <laughs> it's kind of funny, isn't it? How like I don't know. I don't know when the shift happened, but like a lot of people, I feel like it was short time ago, maybe like five years, ten years. I don't know where. When people ask that question, it's like, oh, I am an accountant, or I am a bin man, or I am a whatever. And like, you see it more and more now, where everyone's like, oh, I do this, and I also do this, and I also do this as well. Mm. Which, A, I think is really cool, but how how do you find doing all the different things? It's like a blessing and a curse, really. I think I'm one of them people where I've always got a new idea um or there's always something that i want to try and i think oh i'll give that a go and i'll find the time and and you know but i think ultimately i can be my own worst enemy with it as well like because then i'll get to a point where i'm just like god i'm so busy and could really do with a a weekend (laughs) of doing nothing but then everyone will say to me like we'll just we'll just you know don't do that or or give that part of of what you want to do up and i'm like well well, no, because I do enjoy it at the same time, but it's a bit of a catch-22, I think. I think I can, like, burn the candle at both ends, like, no pun intended, um, a bit too much. <laughs> well, um, I mean, obviously, I guess your job's your job and probably pays the bills, but I guess money aside, if you could only do one of those three things for the foreseeable future, which would it be? Do you know what? I actually think that it would be, it would be the day job, like, as boring as that sounds. I think the PR side of it, I enjoy because it's so different, but then I wouldn't say it was like my dream forever, like retirement job. But I think there's a, I like, I really enjoy what I do. Like I wake up every day and like truly enjoy it. Like obviously there's times where it's stressful Mm. and I think there's, there's more pressure on like my business or like a podcast or whatever, because it's very much solely mine. Yeah. So I feel like, the day job kind of yeah i don't know i'd probably <laughs> say that to be fair would you that's interesting so how, yeah. how long have you been working in pr for uh probably about five six years now okay uh so basically i went to uni did politics and for ages was like i'm gonna be a politician uh or i want to work in political comms or do something like that and then graduated ended up going into recruitment for a year which was potentially one of the worst jobs i have ever been in in my entire life i absolutely hated it um and then started to try and i guess get jobs in like political comms like campaigning lobbying all that kind of stuff Mm. and really quickly realized that actually i think i always have that kind of like passion and that kind of interest in it but i think the comms side of it just didn't feel like it morally aligned very well and then i kind of just fell into doing i guess more consumer pr and then eventually like digital pr and and working in like the di- in digital marketing agencies and it sort of went from there really it's kind of interesting that it didn't align morally to political comms that says kind of a lot about the political system in that country yeah. at the moment and the way it does and this was this was like five six years ago and i think it's just gotten progressively progressively worse so <laughs> it's depressing though isn't it i mean that's like you should be I don't know, it kind of feels like political comms should be a proud thing to say, right, I do this, and, you know, we've built this playground in the local thing, and we've helped these people do this, and it's like, and it's, I don't know, it's kind of sad that it doesn't morally align. Something something a bit weird there, a bit messed up. 
Yeah. I think uh, I think I thought naively when I was like twenty twenty one that you would go into it and it would be a lot of the the positives of it and what yeah. I think you'd assume. And then I think what I really realised is that kind of like with any comms job, you are just managing a narrative or conveying a narrative on the behalf of a person, a group, whatever. And mm. I realised that I think with someone with like quite strong political beliefs, I think a lot of them, if you wanted to progress in that kind of field, have to you have to be quite malleable with those. And I I yeah. just couldn't be. Like I'd be absolutely lying to myself if they said that I could do that. And I think don't get me wrong, I don't think like PR is the most charitable or like noble industry in the world, but I think the consumer side of it and the kind of stuff I do day to day is a lot more than if I was doing it for like a political group or a political a political party, for example. Interesting you said about before you said about doing political comm, you said about actually being a politician. Hmm. Yeah. What was what, uh, what was the driver there? I think um growing up I was quite exposed to politics like quite early on. So my dad was always into politics, like used to work for our local MP. Like I think he used to do his like script writing at one point and then like my stepdad was like a a big union rep in the fire brigade and i'm from quite like a working class background i I feel like it was just kind of always we were quite a politically engaged family i guess okay and so growing up i was like oh, i just find it interesting like world politics always had like an interest in current affairs like the electoral system all the kind of really boring stuff and I just was like, yeah, this feels like a really natural thing to go and do. But I think, obviously, when you're a teenager, early 20s, you you struggle, I guess, to have that kind of, like, holistic view of the world. So your beliefs, yeah. obviously, change or you, like, have a different experience that might um, change things. And I think, I think there's also understanding, like, the political landscape of it's not just about going and trying to do good in the, the world even though that is what it should be i think there's just better yep. channels to do that than going into actual like party politics it's something i guess i'd never say never to but i think it's something that if i was I, ever going to do i was going to ask that because I, I sort of had this view about career politicians that actually i and this is just my view that mm. i feel like people should live a life a little bit first to sort of then go into politics to try and yeah actually understand what the real world is what people are doing and and i feel like there's a quite a few out there who are leading our country who are career politicians who mm-hmm. have never done that yeah so then how do they have that empathy and understanding of the working class and the middle class and whatever like so yeah so you never say never then yeah i, I think like what you just said i think there's there's always that kind of like moral like battle i guess it's, yeah. it's weird i think working in like a private sector and like uh like like i said i love my job i love what i do but i'm always like oh like what else what else could i be doing like is there anything i could do that like is supportive of like people from a similar background of where i've come from or something like that but like you said i think it's really i don't know what i'll be able to offer in like a career politics like at the age i am now and i think People, I do think the, the people that I respect in politics and the people that I despise to be are those people that, like you said, have, have come from whatever background it might be, whatever your beliefs are, but they've had a career 
in a certain profession, which has given them an insight into something, which is why they've kind of gone into politics and, you know, they want to make a change for either a specific subgroup or, or because of the experience that they've lived. Um, and I think it is hard to do that. Like, I think when you see like MPs, for example, that are early twenties, like it's commendable. And I think it's amazing in a lot of ways, but I also wonder, like, I guess, how different would that be if you entered that at 40, for example, having lived that yeah, experience yeah. or or been able to kind of, like, have a perspective on it that you then can't get if you are, like, in that political system from such an early age. So, um, yeah, it's always something at the back of my mind, really, but feels very, like, far removed from what I do now, in a way. So here's the question, then. Do you live your life currently knowing at the background you might be publicly scrutinised in 10 years when you become... Where did, where did you grow up? Blackpool. Blackpool. When you, become, when you become a politician for Blackpool or an MP <laughs> for Blackpool. I think... Do you know what? I think that's probably one of the things as well that puts, like, puts me off in a way. I think, <laughs> I, I think I've got quite a thick skin in a lot of ways, but I think that kind of scrutiny is... Yeah. Like it's such a an incredible skill, I think, to be able to deal with, and not just obviously the scrutiny for for like you if you went into politics, but like your family, your partner, whoever is obviously yeah, 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 yeah. involved. But I think that ultimately, if there's like a specific cause, or you or you are that passionate about going to 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 better that or to better the the area that you represent or something like that then that scrutiny is almost just like the price you kind of have to pay. And I think there are a lot of like causes or whatever where I'd be like, yeah, actually, like, like, do you, do you know what I mean? I've not killed anybody. Yeah, but it's, so when, it's, when those, it's when those, it's, it's when those skeletons come out of the closet and go to the Daily Mail about yeah. oh, this one chat they had or this one experience they had with Alex 10 years ago. Like, oh my God, like it's front page news. Yeah, I know. I think <laughs> this is where I'm trying to like cycle back and think, God, what exposés could happen if I actually <laughs> went for it? Um, but I think, I also think it's interesting because I think we, we live now in like a society where what was scandalous 10 years ago isn't. I mean, you just have to look at like the current government True. and what they've got away with and remain in office and remain electable, which is crazy. Um, you just say, I think, all you got to say is no, it's fake, fake news, isn't it? It's fake news. Yeah, and then exactly. On. And I think there's there's all sorts of things. I think that things like um, you'd like to think we are a more liberated generation, and there's just so many things that I guess would have been absolute huge scandals in the the nineties even. Um, and now I think going forward, people appreciate. Why do you think that is? I think we just I think social media is a massive part of it. I think there's an openness around public figures and that kind of. Um, I think before social media, anyone in the public eye, whether it was a celebrity, an actor, a politician, whoever, um, they you held them on a pedestal because they you knew tidbits about their life that they controlled. They controlled the narrative. It was all, you know, they had great PR behind them most of the time. Um, yeah. But I think ultimately those barriers have been broken down because of social media. So people feel like they do know people to a personal extent because of what's conveyed on any kind of social media platform. And I think they all, they also expect to know it as well. So I think, but, but why, okay. But why is that a right or a wrong? Right. So say you, you, you come out in the press and you've just found, I don't know, 28 million quid stuff down the back of your sofa. 
for example. Like, I'm using one example here, but not paying tax on that mm. is wrong, right? Whether or not it's, I don't know, it's kind of, it's, it's strange. Like, I, why social yeah. media makes that difference, I guess. Yeah, I, I think there's a, I think a big problem with like, public figures in politics at the minute is like a lack of authenticity and a lack of trust and i think that there are certain scandals like that which would have had the same impact x amount of years ago or or other specific examples but i think things where like politicians were hounded for i don't know like a particularly promiscuous past or having a messy divorce or Things like that, which I guess societally have become a little bit more accepting. Yeah. It's no longer seen as like scandalous. And actually, a lot of the time, I think people might look at someone and think, oh, actually, it makes them human. Or I think a great example is um, is like there's some really great senior politicians now, like in the Labour Party, like Angela Rayner. She was like a teenage mother, you know, brought up in a, in a really, really working class background. There's still a lot of people on the political spectrum that, that have a lot to say about the fact that she was a mum at 16 and, and she was still at school mm. and she didn't get any qualifications. And and years ago, like that would have been probably quite career-ending for a politician, especially one in that kind of line. Like, whereas now a lot of people say, well, she represents a you know a, a lived experience that a lot of people in the UK have, and, and therefore that it's not a scandal, it's actually what makes people relate to her, it's what gives her that authenticity and that ability to yeah. kind of represent who she who she represents. But it's kind of funny you said about social media and authenticity and trust because in my mind, social media provides not just politicians, I guess, but any anyone, public or figure or not, like an unbelievably good way of building that authenticity and trust. Because you you control that narrative, don't you? Like in, mm. in the old days it used to be, oh, the Daily Mail or the Sun or whatever would write a story and the public would generally go, Oh, that's the story about so and so. And there was never really recourse or like right to reply. Yeah. Whereas now with social media, they can own that narrative and you can. But it's kind of strange that a lot of them don't very well. I don't know. I don't know why that yeah. is. Maybe, they're, not, maybe like, they're not used to it yet. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like there's almost the, I think with any kind of like social media management, especially you, you have the two ends of the extreme you have. Mm-hmm. And I think it, when you are under that much scrutiny, there's so much nuance in what you can fit into a tweet for example and i think a big problem is that there are so many like complex issues that politicians or or anyone in that kind of um arena is discussing or debating or trying to get a point across and i think a big problem that we have as well is that we're trying to condense those issues down and judge someone's opinion in 140 characters um or less and it's it's really difficult to i think convey that message um, obviously scrutiny is going to happen regardless because there's people who will you know believe in your cause or not and that's kind of you know why we live in a democracy and, and that's the point of like the political spectrum but I think that um, people especially politicians realize that actually it can do more harm than good to try and convey it on a platform like social media where things can be misconstrued things can be taken out of context or things can be change but i think that ultimately leads up to that problem of people feeling detached from politicians i think because there's some politicians that do do social media really really well like whether it's twitter whether it's tiktok like there's there's some really good examples and and you usually find that 
the ones that do, regardless of their political beliefs, um, a lot of like the electorate feel like it's they're accessible, um, and they have quite yeah. good like popularity ratings and stuff. Um, but there is, I'd say, probably the majority are too worried about the scrutiny or the potential impact that one opinion could have on their career and their livelihood. And it kind of goes back to, I think, that, you know, what are they in politics for? Is it literally a career politician? Like, are they are they happy to be vocal about what they believe in? and Or do they just prefer to do it through other channels? I think it's a, it's a complex one, um, but it's an interesting one for sure. Do, do you know what? I love this podcast and the reason is like I I sort of obviously I invited you on I followed you on social media for a long time and I've always liked what you said I didn't think for one minute uh, when we started recording this that we'd spend 10 minutes talking about politics and the the upsides (laughs) of social media and downsides like it's just it's awesome because it kind of shows how you get to not judge someone but you think you know someone from like their Twitter's tweets and Twitter account or whatever but like I thought we'd spend a load of time talking about your candles, which we will move on to. <laughs> yeah. It's just funny. It's just it's funny. Like this is why I kind of love, love this long form content yeah. because it sort of goes down a route that you never know where it's going to go. Yeah, I think um, yeah. I think anyone anyone that does kind of know me personally knows that like this, you know, I get a beer down me and I will chew your ear off for hours about the state of our <laughs> political system. But I think is, um, it, is that your soapbox? It, yeah, I mean, there's um there's a million and one like particular topics, but I think that again, it kind of goes back to that social media and that scrutiny as well. Is is I could I think I'm as authentic as I can be on like certain certain topics and whatever. But then there's also that kind of oh, you know, like there's a potential client that you know might have me on LinkedIn or have me on Twitter. And if I start to yeah. absolutely tear into some particular politician or whatever it is that they're really good friends with or they're a massive supporter of, like it's one yeah, of them. Yeah. I think I think finding the balance is hard, but also not compromising like how you feel about stuff like that as well um, can be quite a difficult one. Okay, well we won't we won't put your uh, career at risk any further. Let's move on to talk <laughs> about uh, your candles. Yeah. So I think this is how you first came on my radar when you, when did you launch it? A couple of years ago now? Yeah, so it's 2020, end of 2020. Yeah. And I, I think that's where I started seeing you tweeting and talking about it. For anyone listening who's not heard of you or your candles, do you want to give us a quick overview? Yeah, so in 2020, obviously lockdown, very little to do. Uh, me and my fiance now, we're just bored basically and Oliver my partner started to play around making candles at home so taking like beer cans and obviously like removing the tops and like creating candles for them I think he was doing it for Father's Day originally okay and then he just started to just do it as a bit of a hobby really and it just kind of was something to do through lockdown and I just thought do you know what I feel like we could sell these I feel like this could become more than just like a bit of a lockdown hobby and the only thing I knew how to try and launch a business with was with digital PR, because that's kind of all I'd ever done um, in terms yeah. of like that specific marketing mix. So we ended up creating the 2020 scent first, which was like a candle that's, that basically smelt like 2020, the year. So it smelt like uh, banana bread, because that's what everyone had been baking. It smelt like hand sanitizer for 
obvious reasons. Can, it smelled like. Can I can I interrupt you very quickly? Yeah. How do how do you go from being a digital PR expert to creating a scent? Like, what what does even that mean? Creating a scent? Like, how do you how do you do that? So so basically, the way in which you make them is you get obviously whatever kind of wax you're using, and then you can buy scents from suppliers. So a lot of the ones that you would normally get in a candle would be like sandalwood or lavender yeah, or something yeah. like that. Um, but what you can do is you can buy like I guess like raw um, fragrance oils or essential oils, and you can mix them to create uh, like a custom uh, scent, okay. basically. But then what you what we started to do was think, okay, well, we had a scent that was meant to smell like gin and tonic, but it didn't really smell like gin and tonic. It had that kind of for like hand sanitizer. It had that medicinal hospital like smell to it which like heart is that hand and then we were like well if we if we actually put more of that in quantity in that smell becomes stronger um and you can change how it how you perceive the smell um so we started to really play around with what scents we could find and then tweak or add different oils into to make um i guess weird smells so the the last scent of that 2020 candle was meant to smell like Joe Exotic from Tiger King because that's all anyone had been watching right. like over 2020. <laughs> and what actually it was was like a, I uh, won't say the brand in case they're listening, probably like might not be, but it was like a very che- like well-known cheap budget aftershave smell mixed okay. with like basically was, a smell that was meant to smell like B.O. I think it was like a Lynx smell, to be fair. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, you know, your classic, like, your, your crappy Lynx aftershave or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was like that kind of, that really, again, that, like, chemically aftershave smell with, like, a... I can't remember what the scent was called. It was basically like a, like a, a body odour musk <laughs> thing, and we just had to try and get the balance right so you could get elements of it. And then what you basically do is layer and set those in, like, different layers in a candle, so then obviously you burn through the scent changes um as the different uh, layers okay. so it was kind of a bit like a, oh, and we and we were you doing it in the kitchen yeah so it was literally in uh we the, before we bought our house it was like a tiny little rented kitchen we used to live in Headingley in Leeds in the world's honestly this tiny little stove and we just used to make them on the stove because at first it was just kind of a oh, it'll be a laugh, like, and the little beer can ones we'd started to do because a couple of friends had said, oh, yeah, I'll buy a few, like, it'll be, you know, it's a good present. Um, and then we obviously created that candle, and I was like, right, well, I'll, I'll put it out to press and just see if we can make a story out of it. And then it just sort of went mad, really. So we ended up getting to a point where we were making, like, hundreds of candles a day <laughs> from this tiny, honestly, I wish I had a picture of how small this kitchen was in our old house, this tiny little kitchen just because it ended up going, it did really well for like the UK press, but it was um, America predominantly. So it was, we launched it just in the run up to the 2020 um, presidential election. And there was obviously okay. a lot of negative news. It was obviously very heavy Trump versus Biden. The news cycle was quite depressing, really, because obviously the, the, the feeling around that election wasn't a good one. Obviously, COVID was still very much a thing. Um, and it very quickly became like a bit of a light relief story, like whether it was in the yep. New York Post or it was on like like regional TV and like Fox TV and stuff. It became like that kind of funny story at the end. So we ended up getting loads and loads of orders that were specifically 
um, from America. I think even to this day now with Flaming Crap, the the brand, I'd say like sixty percent of our of our orders are from the US still. Wow, which is is wild. But um, it yeah, it did it did very very well. Still the best PR campaign I've ever done in terms of like reach <laughs> and coverage, which is nice that it was for my own company. Yeah. And then yeah, and we just we ended up getting to the point where we we sold a, a nice nice amount, um, and then we kind of with a lot of the the money that we managed to make ended up moving into the house that we're in now. Uh, bought our first house with kind of the money we made made with it, that and then cool. like now our basement is like very much a candle workshop basically. So we're no longer doing it on a tiny little gas stove basically. Got so many questions. <laughs> Where did the name come from? So to be fair, it kind of goes back to the the politics thing as well. Is we when we were looking at candle brands, I think you look at loads of candle brands and they are very very similar. The scents are very similar, and they are always done with like a luxury edge. It's mm-hmm. always very like uh, feminine focused or neutral, but it's very like luxury high class. And there wasn't really a candle brand, I guess we thought that was a bit of like an anti-establishment. Um, and a lot of the candles we sold, there was a candle that we sold, which basically just said, fuck Boris, which sold really well. And it kind of <laughs> was a bit of like, <laughs> yeah, it's it started off as like a bit of an anti-establishment brand. So Flaming Crap just felt quite funny. Okay. And then, it, yeah, it just stuck. And we kept thinking of, oh, well, you know, we might struggle because it's like slightly rude, but... We just went, actually, it feels so, it fe- felt so right for, like, the brand that we kind of wanted to create. And then we we managed to obviously gain press coverage with it. And I think the name helped because it was so stupid as well. So, yeah, that's where it came from, basically. Okay, so where, where are you at now? I mean, are you still working on it yourselves, the two of you? Or have you got yeah. people coming in now? No, so we, it's still just the two of us. What we... Uh, it's been really interesting, especially the past year, because obviously that was sort of the end of 2020. And then 2021, we did a lot of... Um, were, were you on furlough of... when you started this, or were you, were you not working? No, we were. So I we, I just started... I got made redundant quite early on in COVID. Um, so I just right. started at um, Rise at 7, a previous agency that I worked at. So and my partner, Oliver, he was working... He worked through all throughout the pandemic. So it was okay. on top of everything else. It was a lot of late nights, a lot of... We took like holiday to do some of it just to catch up and stuff, but <laughs> and, uh, it was it was one of them where it was kind That's of amazing. And uh, I think we got to the point where we were like we could just kind of stop it and just be like, oh, that was fun, or if we really just go with it, this could actually be quite life changing in a way, and it kind of was. Yeah, because we we did that, and then obviously going into twenty twenty one, we did like some more like weird sense, kind of got more press coverage for like different candles that we created that sold well so then we had like a really nice kind of steady steady you know income basically from it and then what we kind of started to do was quite a lot of brands got in touch and were like we want to do a a weird candle campaign or we want to create something that's unique that we can give to our customers and so we kind of pivoted i'd say 2022 and going into this year more from kind of like our own range of creating like for consumer to a lot of white labeling a lot of creating bespoke candles for brands so like we did a partnership with um another pr agency but with skiddle um for like a festival scented candle that was really fun to do because people like we wanted to smell like portaloos and beer 
and um, gra- and freshly cut grass. And we were like, yeah, we can do that. And then me and Oliver sat there thinking, how the fuck do we make a scent that smells like a portaloo? <laughs> but then we're just going through like the oils and stuff that we can we can get and and figuring it out and testing it. But we kind of put a lot more emphasis on that side of the business just because it was a bit more of a challenge in a way because we were getting brands coming to us that were saying, you know, we want a candle that smells like this. Sometimes it wasn't yeah. always possible, so we kind of had to do a lot of steering on what we could do. But also, um, it just was, it was just more profitable as well, to be honest. Because a, you know, a brand was like they wanted bespoke. Obviously, it's a lot of um, research and development time for us, and they're buying in huge quantities, whether it's like a PR stunt or corporate gifts and yeah. stuff like that. So. Yeah, so that's kind of um, we are working to be fair on this year, kind of doing a few more, kind of go going back to kind of finding that balance of like consumer and I guess more B two B. But the last I'd say year was a lot of that kind of working with with brands, like some we can talk about, some annoying when we can't. And doing are, are you going to get to a point though where where it's getting so big that you can't, you just there's just not enough hours in the day for you, the pair of you. Yeah, I think I think we got to that point in. I'd say beginning of last year, which is kind of why that shift happened, because it was just the two of us. And I think with a with a business of this size, we were at that point where we were like, actually, do we do we scale this? And if we do scale this, like what what's the plan to do that? We're gonna need to hire somebody, someone that can can help with the um production more so than like I guess the marketing side. Um so there was yeah. that, there was obviously you know, we're going to have to get some sort of premises. And then there's a lot of like, uh, like legalities involved with that. And like, obviously we're like fully insured and, and all that thing. And you have to kind of factor all that into it. And we were like, if we do that, it's a lot of investment and we weren't sure. And then what we, what we ended up realizing is, is that actually the, the doing a lot for brands, whether it was for PR or corporate gifts or moving into like wedding favors is something else that we, started to sort of play around with was that we could it's still quite intensive work but it's a lot shorter sharper periods of time so instead of like a constant rolling you know keeping up with orders keeping up with um creating new products making sure we've got stock sending it out all that kind of stuff all just the paperwork that comes with all the customs documents because a lot of them were going to america and and all that kind of stuff is that we were having okay a brand was ordering 2000 candles we knew that that was going to be a big production of like a month or two months then we hand it over and the brand does whatever they want to do with them so last year we we probably did it felt like a lot less time but we got a lot more out of it and it was just in like more pockets but i think um i i definitely think that for especially oliver my partner i think he'd love to take it full time one day i think it's just kind of figuring out in what in what capacity Making that, that leap. Yeah, yeah yeah but it's interesting it's something that um yeah like I, i'm proud i'd say it's one of the most proudest like biggest moments of pride ever because it was literally built from fuck all well so from, your, <laughs> like, from, your, fr- from a side hustle to be to making you be able to buy a house in mm. what less than two years yeah yeah i mean that's incredible yeah, I think that was the, um, yeah, it was kind of that. It made a lot possible, really, because, like, in lockdown, obviously, money was tight and all that, and obviously the, the yeah, like, 
yeah, that was like the proudest moment really because it just it did a lot of it accelerated a lot of like that life stuff. I guess like buying a house and like we're getting married in yeah. September, so like being able That's to cool. save for a wedding and not and just like yeah, it's it's nice and also I think it's just um that kind of pride thing because it was ours and I think especially from a PR perspective, like I've always worked in an agency. I really like working in an agency. I love collaborating with loads of other people. I love working with loads of different brands. But it is quite a nice feeling mm. knowing that like we had ownership of it. And even to that point where we decided where I think people knew the brand to a point from like the consumer facing stuff. And we were like, well, actually, we want to try a lot of this business stuff. And, and to do that, we are going to have to sacrifice, you know, a lot of the, the marketing efforts that went into like creating a new PR campaign and a new product. But um, yeah. like, I'm glad that worked as well. And then now I think it's kind of just trying to figure out what balance works really well for for us and like the business going forward. Well, it's just, uh, do you know what? It's lovely to see that everyone seems to have a side hustle at the moment. And that, that's mm. not a criticism because I think it's amazing. But it's just lovely to see someone who's actually taking that side hustle from being a side hustle to actually being something profitable and something that actually really works and is is good for anyone who's where can people check that out now obviously i'll link to it in the show notes and whatever but where can yeah. people see your stuff uh flamingcrap.com we've kind of like stripped it back to like our core core candles that people would probably know if they already knew of us and then the plan is later this year to just give it a bit of a refresh really i think um like i said okay. there's been a big focus on that b2b stuff but like the the PR in me is like, do you know what we've got? We've got a funny <laughs> candle. We've got another funny candle in us this year. So, yeah, that, that's the. Well, I guess the world year. the world just keeps giving you ideas, doesn't it? I know. Honestly, it's 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 wild, really, because we did obviously we did the twenty twenty cent, and that obviously did like really really well. And we thought we'll we'll try and do a twenty twenty one cent just because we wanted to do it. It was a laugh. Yeah. Uh, you know what sums up twenty twenty one. Um, and it did, it didn't do as well, but it did in terms of like media attention and media coverage. Um, there was still a massive appetite for it. I think we, we launched it again, like October, November. So it was a very, I think a lot of people like to buy them as like secret Santa gifts or stocking fillers and whatever. Yeah. And the appetite for it was the same. And then we were kind of thinking, oh, you know, do we do it? We were going to do a 2022 cent, uh, last year. And we thought again kind of going back to like more of my day job but i thought what was really interesting is after the 2020 set there was obviously a load of candles we made for brands that were doing pr stuff with candles and then it just became a bit of a pr stunt model if you will there was so many yeah, yeah, candle yeah. campaigns so many stories about you can now buy a candle that smells like this and it became a bit of a bit of a joke there was people like in the industry that were like god if i see another candle campaign like sick to death of them and i was just like doesn't bode well when we're in a candle business but that's why we kind of thought actually let's pivot let's give it a bit of time to breathe and then this year the plan was let's really like rethink about the brand again a lot of the other stuff we did was like quite politically engaged yeah. like they that was kind of all like always like the a lot of the the ongoing sales we used to get and a lot of the kind of audience and the demographic that that like shot with flaming crap so yeah interesting one i love it very proud of it very proud of it so you should be alex it's, like i said it's great to hear of a story of success everyone loves a success story but if you weren't a candle uh entrepreneur uh or a pr expert and you could do anything money aside what would it be i 
I would say I would probably be a writer, like a fiction author. Okay. But uh, but not because I'd want to make loads of money from it. I just love writing. All, when I was a kid, I used to love writing stories. Um, I think that kind of like naturally is why I probably went into PR because it's a lot of like story-driven narratives and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's just something that I have stopped doing and I just don't have the time or I probably don't make the I was going to say, to do it. I was no, no. say you haven't <laughs> got the time. No, but um, I'd love to retire early and just piss about for 10 years writing a book that probably might sell 10 copies on Amazon. But do you know what? I'd absolutely love every minute of it, I think. Have you ever given it a go in the past? Yeah, so I've written... When I was like a teenager, I wrote a book. I mean, it's the worst thing you'd ever, ever see if you read it now because I was like 15. Um, and then I'd like went back to doing quite a lot of writing probably about four years ago um but then i've not in ages i've not in ages i think because what, what my, genre my... what genre would you be in uh so i always wanted to write like i love like a political thriller surprisingly now okay um but also like supernatural stuff so i always wanted to kind of fuse the two i'd write like a political thriller with like zombies the or ghost something. of downing street yeah something like that like <laughs> a fusion of the two who would read it who knows but yeah i'd love to do that i think i'd love to just yeah retire early write a book whoever reads it i actually that i don't care in the slightest but i'd love to write a book have one published have it on my shelf be like yeah i, I wrote that it's it's good you should read it <laughs> that's cool i, I just um you seen that bbc maestro stuff where they get experts to write that do basic courses on stuff yeah and there's, yeah, I, think so. there's I mean it's not political or or supernatural but lee child who does the uh, jack reach books he did one and i was chatting to someone the other day and they were like oh it's amazing i think they're like really quite reasonably priced for the amount of stuff mm. in there but i don't know maybe worth having a look yeah i know i think that's the, i think that's one of the um one of the things really it was like when uh I always do it because I'm very like, I want to try this and I want to try this. And it was kind of the same with like Flaming Craft. It was like, oh, we'll start doing candles. It's it's a hobby. And then it kind of obviously snowballs into something that is a lot more time consuming. I think um, yeah. that's like one of my, resol- that was like one of my resolutions this year, if you will, is like do more things that have nothing to do with money, have nothing to do with it matters if they succeed or not. Just do them because I want to do them. And I think writing is definitely you, one of the things I need to get back into doing just for like my own enjoyment, really. Have you read the Stephen King book about writing? I don't think so, no. Okay. I just remember some, someone, same person talking about the Lee Child thing, was like, oh yeah, Stephen King's written this book about, uh, I'll have a look for it. I'll send you a link after. Yeah, no, that sounds good. Okay. Tell me something about you that not many people know. Ooh, uh, God, this was a hard one. This when I was thinking about it, I can play the piano. I don't think a lot of people know that actually. Um, can you? What yeah. standard? Uh, well, I've done my. I went to like my grade eight exams, which is like. Oh right. wow, that's pretty. That's pretty good. Yeah, but then again, it's one of them things where I have not practiced in. I have like I literally have a piano upstairs. Well, it's like an electric piano that's upstairs in my mm. attic. Every couple of months, I'm like, do you know what? I'm going to bring it down. I'm going to spend a Sunday and just, like, learn something. 
and I don't. I think the last time I I got the piano out and learned something was probably about two years ago, and it was really gutted because you. It's not like riding a bike. I don't. I don't know if anyone else who plays any kind of instrument if it's the same, but you think, oh well, I you know I was a great day. I could do all this, and then you sit down at it, and I literally am like, I can barely play a song <laughs> that I used to remember like that, and it's so it's so frustrating because you think, oh, you think you'll just pick it back up, and you don't. But yeah, another thing I keep saying I'm gonna do, and just don't have the time at the minute. But yeah, I can play the piano. <laughs> Musical instruments are a funny one. Like, I don't have many regrets in life. But one of them, if I had to be really hypercritical, is not learning a musical instrument. Because mm. I love I love like those those occasions when and it happens a bit rarer these days, but when someone just brings out a guitar and everyone sits around like singing an Oasis song or there's a pub near where I used to live that has this guy who and I can't remember what it's called now. But it's um he sits there on the piano on a, in in the pub in the evening. And he's, people will come up and say, oh, I want this song. And then the whole pub, the whole pub just sings yeah. these songs. Yeah. It's like everything. And I was like, that is such a talent. Yeah. Like, to it be is. able to do that. Yeah, it is. But, I think, yeah, um, yeah it's, that's why I think I'm quite anno- annoyed at myself that I've, like, let it slide. Because I was never, I was never one of them piano players that was great at doing stuff by ear. So right. if you were like, oh, can you play this? I'd, I would struggle... But I can like read. I can still, to an extent, like read music. So you could just like give me some sheet music, and I could just do it. But um, yeah, it's 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 annoying, really, because like I think when I was, I I think I did. I started quite late. I think I was about ten or eleven, because like a lot mm. of kids like start really young. But it was just because um, uh, so I'm one of four siblings, and like my right. sister was, which still is like a footballer massively into football my other brother used to play football my other sister was like really into acting and stuff and they all did loads of like extracurricular stuff outside of school and my mum was like alex do something like just do i will pay for you to do something just pick something and i literally just was like fine i'll learn the piano like out of like (laughs) just like annoyance that my mum was nagging um and then i did it like did proper lessons till i was about 19 and then when i moved to uni i just stopped and then yeah like obviously picked it up now and again but i think i i get like in situations like that you said like you know um you see like pianos in like train stations and stuff all the time now yeah 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 and then see on tiktok like, all the time yeah it's like i was walking through um some pancreas like well a couple whenever the last i was in london was um and someone just sat down and just started like playing this just like amazing piece and i was like i have lost so much of it that i could probably sit down and play you like a thousand miles by Vanessa Carlton that's about it but like this was like this amazing and I was just like oh I'm annoyed because like you do lose it and I think it's one of the things if you don't practice you really lose it and if I like sat down with it now it would take me I'd have to really it would take you'd soon pick it up again really right yeah if you you said I'm gonna give it a couple of weeks yeah I think I hope so it is just that time I think I am I'm I think, like I've alluded to, I'm very scattered in a way. So I will sit down, do an afternoon, have a great afternoon trying to pick it back up. Think, oh, I'll do, I'll yeah. do it again tomorrow, and then I don't know. Three weeks go by. <laughs> yeah, and I'm just, I lack, I really lack that kind of like structure and consistency with it. I think, like, to fit into this like day of like life, basically. Oh, interesting. No, I didn't think he was going to say piano. <laughs> Tell me about one of the most pivotal moments in your life. 
I think I always kind of talk well to like friends and stuff, but like it's more of like a period of like a couple of months rather than like one specific moment. Okay. But it's more because I think there was a lot of pivotal moments in a very like short amount of time. But it was like twenty, I think it was twenty nineteen. So I'd lived in Leeds. So I, I'm from Blackpool originally. Moved to Leeds for university and stayed after uni and got a job and whatever. Yeah. And I was with an ex at the time, and he lived in Manchester. And the plan was just to kind of move to Manchester because that's what I think he like he wanted to do. So I was like, yeah, 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 that's fine. And I guess I'd never. Basically, I think I'd always, I'd obviously gone from living at home to gone to living at uni with like a big group of friends who, like all my friends from uni were the people I lived in my accommodation with, like my flat, the flats yeah. around, like we're all still a big group of friends today. And so I'd always gone from, I guess I wasn't very independent, to be honest, like at all. Okay. I think I think I thought to myself that I was really independent because I like, lived on my own and, you know, I had got myself a job and all these things. But actually, I was very reliant on um other people and kind of just following what other people were doing yeah and i was meant to move to manchester look for a job in manchester i'd like already like told my housemate that i lived with at the time like we weren't renewing like our house and whatever and then in the space of about 12 weeks like me and my ex broke up so I therefore wasn't moving to manchester and I, the thing is i think i didn't want to move to manchester this was be- before before you moved yeah, it was, yeah, just before, luckily. Yeah, yeah. But I had kind of made loads of plans there. So I didn't have a job in Leeds. I didn't really have anywhere to live. And I was very just like, shit. Because I didn't want to, like, move back home. Obviously, I was, like, like pretty miserable and whatever because we'd broken up and been together a while. And I just was a little yeah. bit like, I don't know. I felt like it was the first time, really, I'd ever had to, like, really not just stand on my own two feet, but kind of like make my own decisions about like the re- my own direction of my life, if you get what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I kind of managed to get, I can't remember what order it happened in now. I think I moved in with my friend, like my friend again. We managed to sort something out, but then I was like, I literally don't have a job and don't have any money. Um, so I need money to pay rent. And then... <laughs> yeah, it does help. Yeah, it does help. And then managed to kind of like get myself back together a bit because I was in, like, a bit of a poor place, like, mental health-wise. And then got what was then my first job in digital PR. So managed to do that. I was finishing my master's as well at the time, so I was literally just at the very, like, tail end of my master's degree. There's, like, a lot going on at one specific time. Yeah, so did that, and then very much kind of was quite proud, because also, like, very quickly I, like, got that digital PR job and was like, actually, this isn't just kind of a consolation job because i needed a job i was like i actually really really enjoy this and Mm. i can see myself having a career in this in this and like i was back in leeds again and i kind of said to myself oh i don't want to you know i've lived in leeds for like four or five years now however long it had been i I wanted to move i wanted to move away um and actually i kind of was like really honest with myself i was like actually no i don't like i really love it here like i'm really glad i'm still here and then yeah. I was very much like, right, I'm going to be single for ages. This is it. Very much standing on my own two feet. And then about three months later, I ended up meeting my now fiance, business partner, Oliver, flaming crap partner, all the same person. <laughs> and very much just was like, 
yeah, like, no, I'm not really keen for anything serious, but didn't really transpire that way. The rest is the rest is history. So funny, funny how things work out, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I think it's it was more just. Uh, I think it was a bit. It was kind of the first time where I think I'm very now very confident in my own decisions, and I don't really regret a lot of things. Like if if I do something, and it doesn't necessarily go to plan. I'm like, well, I thought it was the right thing at the time, and I gave it a go, and I like will give anything a go now, kind of thing. Like I don't. Do you, know, do you know what I mean? Like, I don't really hold myself back in loads of different ways. But I'd say until that kind of period, I was very much like a bit of a yes man, really, and a bit of a people pleaser. Um, and I think it was kind of at the detriment to, like, my own career or like my like what I wanted to do and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, if, if that kind of answers the question. No, it does. And it's I mean, I applaud you for being so open and honest. And actually... Again, going back to what I was saying earlier, like I wouldn't, I mean, we don't know each other that well, and I guess, but I wouldn't have assumed that to be your answer from, you know, seeing your content online and seeing you talk about stuff. So I think it's good because I think people will hear you say that. And actually, there's probably lots of people in the same boat currently, or I think, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's just, you know, it's not nice for you, obviously, at the time, but it's nice for people to hear that actually. You, you go through this thing and then everything works mm. out ultimately yeah ultimately yeah mm. i think um i can't remember what episode it was now i was it was an, another 10q podcast someone said that it was like one of their favorite quotes or something was like everything will be all right in the end if it's not all right it's not the end and i was like yeah i like fully fully yeah, buy yeah. that fully buy that because i think it's very very true and i think um there's kind of a lot i love the fact I love the fact that you're the first, you've referenced another 10Q podcast on this <laughs> thing. I was wondering where you're going with that. Yeah. It's Kate, Caitlin, that was. Caitlin Rosario said that. Yeah, I think it, it's so true, though. And I think um, there's a lot to be, there's a lot of, like, character building, especially when you're, like, early 20s. I think there's a lot of character building that comes out of those just really shit mm. periods. And I think they they really formulate, like, the, the positives, probably, <clears throat> going forward. Like, I don't think I would be, I would have had the conviction to kind of, start a business or do what I've done in my job or or just make a lot of the decisions without kind of being forced to in a lot of those moments because yeah. it's very easy to just go along with like someone else's plan or someone else's idea of, of what you should be doing yeah I agree I agree with you I think at the time obviously it's horrendous and you but I often think that you look back on those times and think kind of in a weird way glad it happened because otherwise I wouldn't be where I am now or this wouldn't have happened and which led to mm. this and this and this so yeah we need those time we need those things sometimes yeah definitely definitely let's move on to the next question and not linger on on depressing times <laughs> is there a tiny habit or practice that has had a positive a positive impact on your life or your work yes although I still think I need to be better at it is like time blocking like if that's the right okay. way to describe it so yeah, yeah, yeah. i i like i said like will have a million and one ideas and there's a million and one things that i want to do which means that i very much am like quite like overly committal and that's in like my personal life and professional life as well so if i've got like yeah. a friend that says oh are you free on the first of march we're gonna do this i'm like yeah of course 100 percent. i'm there 
and then I'll say the same to loads of different groups of friends or family <laughs> or whatever. And then I also will be like, oh, yeah, I'll take on this project at work. And that's fine. Like I've definitely got time to do this. And then before I know it, I am having like ridiculous periods in like my professional life where we maybe have taken on a huge brand order for Flaming Crap. And like realistically, did we have the time to do it? Mm, probably not. But and it's the same mm-hmm. with like my day job. And then you get to the weekend where you're like, I just could really do with like two days under a duvet. And I've committed yeah. myself to plans for the next like three months. And I think I have like been burnt like burnt out basically from it, like in the past where work was just over consuming everything else. Like I think that's like, you know, flaming crap's fantastic. It was it is a side hustle. Um, and obviously it grew to a lot more than that but it's obviously there's so much time that's involved and I love doing it but I think I just thought oh well I love doing it so you know you make the time work and it won't feel that stressful or whatever yeah, yeah and then yeah. even just from a social perspective like there's times where like you know I've gone to something because it's like a family event or I've promised friends I'll do something but actually you're just like oh no I really don't want to do not, this not present and, no, and then I've really like I've made myself ill doing it kind of thing, and just like, absolutely crashed. And I think now I'm a lot better at, at whether it's at work. Someone says, "Oh, Alex, like, can you do this by Friday?" I'm just like, "No, no, I, I actually can't." Like, if I'm being realistic, like that deadline's not going to work. Or if someone says, "You know, can you do this?" I'm like, "Yep," and it, uh, that'll take me three hours, and I'm going to block that three hours out of my diary. So if anyone yeah. else needs anything, you know it's it's going to be hard because i need that three hours and it's this, i i've tried to do the same like in my personal life as well where like like with flaming crap like obviously i do it with my partner oliver there was times when i'm like all we are doing is like working together and yeah, yeah, yeah. there's things where we've turned stuff down because actually you know we're on holiday that week or we just don't want to do anything um and there's plans where you know, with friends where I've stopped either agreeing to it or, or I guess making up an excuse as to why I can't come or something and just being like, because I'm really busy or really knackered and it's no reflection on our friendship or like the plans. I just need that weekend for myself. Yeah. But I'd say that that's something I, I still could be better at, but something I've like had to force myself to do because I think I was too much of a people pleaser in one respect and also thought i could i could do i had like a million hours a day basically do you think and i asked this question because i also worked in digital marketing for a long long time and it's kind of my main frame of reference and it's not that it's any particular dig at the industry but do you think the whole overextending oneself is is a big thing in digital marketing i do i think there's I think it happens obviously a lot in agency culture and I think there's mm. agencies that manage it incredibly well. There's agencies I've been at that don't manage it well at all. And I think every agency, no matter what agency you work for, I think there's an element of it. And I think if any agency says they're absolutely perfect at it, then they're either not a hundred percent truthful or they're probably a little bit naive. Um, I think yeah. that the, the nature of it, and obviously I can only speak, I guess, from being in the PR side of it, I think there's a there's a yep. major thing in that we are always plugged into the news, which is weird. And I think it's weird anyway, but I think especially over like COVID and, and just like 
everything that's gone on over the past few years, like being plugged into the news is very like emotional. And it's always bad news as well, right? It's not even even good news. Yeah, it is. And I think there's, there's so many instances where you spot a news story and it might be out of hours or whatever. And I'm like, well, we'll act on that tomorrow, but your brain kicks in anyway. So it's difficult. And I think there's, I think, there's a lot of moving parts in like an agency and i think it's just balancing like the best phrase ever is like i can't remember who said it but it's like it's pr not er and i think sometimes <laughs> digital market truly people like really believe like if this doesn't happen if this campaign doesn't go live on this day like the world will end and i know to some people and some yeah. stakeholders like it might feel like it will but it really doesn't and i think there's a a huge amount of pressure put on put on our work when you actually sit back and someone says oh what do you do for a living i'm like I'm, i make powerpoints for a living like ultimately like i move slides around like i i think of ideas and put them into a slide deck and and people seem yeah. to like them and, it's, and, and it gets people to write about them like when you boil it down to that point like i my work is not as important as a doctor or a nurse or a builder or a pl- what it doesn't have that kind of tangible effect on people's lives but i think there's a real emphasis on how important these things are and it's very deadline heavy so i think being kind of going back to that time is just being in control of your own time is really really important because your time so in real terms then yeah go on so in real terms and alex i i agree with you but how does and and i'll pick on the juniors because just they're probably the people who experience it kind of the most particularly in agency life so how do they these junior people sort of actually say, you know, if you've got a, an enthusiastic boss, we'll say, who's pushing you and pushing you and pushing you, how, how do the juniors push back and actually say, you know, I know that deadline won't work or mm. I think time frame won't work or whatever? I think there's a there's the balance of understanding of, of the first thing is like recognising like why they might be struggling to do it. So if it's a case of, the deadline set is realistic in the manager's eyes, but they're not hitting it because they're they don't understand an element of it, or they've not been trained properly on a certain tool, or or on technique or something. Then that is mm. on the it's it's kind of a dual responsibility of the manager to recognise that, but also of that that person to speak up and say, "Can I have a bit of help with this? It will save us a lot of time in the long run." And that 10, 15 minute conversation, whatever it might be, might save you hours of time. I think when it gets yeah. to the point where um, you're just getting work piled on you, you know, you have another client to look after and that client wants something done by Friday, that pushback is, it's very scary to do, I think, when you're early in your career. But I think the yeah. earlier you feel comfortable doing it and feel comfortable having those conversations with more senior people above you or people that are making those decisions, the more control of your own career and respect I think that you'll gather. And I think, I think it is that problem that like you said of, of people often thinking, oh, well, if I've been given this deadline, it must be achievable. But then they're working till midnight doing it. No, like it's it's yeah. an element probably of poor planning on the manager's part or just that you need another person in the team or something like that. So I think being confident enough and don't be afraid of it. If you 100% know that it's just unrealistic and it's not because, I don't know, of another factor, then say that I can do X amount of work in X amount of time if there's a real issue with that, then that's probably a wider conversation about the culture that you're in and the expectations that that culture has of you. And then 
you can kind of make a, a decision for yourself if, if that's a culture that you want to stay in. But hopefully, yeah. I'd like to think that having that conversation would would change that because I think most of the time it would. I think it, that pressure does get piled on, but being really firm in that you can only do so much on your own, like we're all human and that's and that's absolutely the case. And that the people above you who are meant to, probably meant to be a, bit, a little bit more strategic because they've got more experience should be able to recognise that and plan accordingly for it, I think. Well, so on the flip side then, what's the advice to the leaders to actually, I guess, A, identify this stuff happening and B, stopping it? I think that getting your processes in order is massive. I think I think a lot of the time no no manager or no leader wants to feel or know like they're staff are overworked or or stretched or feeling burnt out or anything like that but i think often they don't have good enough processes that tell them that early enough so whether it's an agency model where you're tracking time or you know it's another business where you take on x amount of work and the revenues attributed to whatever team if you don't have processes in place which kind of tell can give an indication of you know that person has x amount of hours in a week yet they've got 100 hours of work assigned to them the logical thing <laughs> is that you need two two or three people for that amount of work and you should be those processes are one of the first things i think that need to be created and really honed for you in order to keep staff happy and keep that level of work consistent and achievable and if, if you focus too much on other things and don't hone those processes correctly then very quickly you're just going to get into a cycle of disengaged staff probably a high staff turnover and then it's hot you might be winning work or you know getting more work or whatever but delivering that work becomes near impossible because it just becomes a cycle and a conveyor belt chain so ultimately it's not the most fun thing or the most profitable thing to maybe do at the beginning but um it's the thing that will i think keep that success consistent because you'll have a but that's what i that's yeah sorry that's what i find strange about the and again and i will caveat this by saying i've only really worked digital marketing so but i see it in the industry a lot where i know how expensive and time consuming it is to recruit um you know with the likes of social media now brand uh, company reputations are pretty easy to work out right if i'm going for a job at company x and I see that oh Alex worked there two years ago. I will drop him a DM. Alex, like give me the give me the inside knowledge. Yeah, I still speak to loads of people who say this is a problem in in the mm. industry, and I yeah. don't understand why because I feel like if you solve this problem, your turnover work like employee turnover is reduced drastically. Your morale is higher, therefore your work quality is better. And all these things point to an obvious fix. Yet, I, mm. like I said, I still hear it time and time again about how many businesses have got this problem. Yeah, and I can't work out why that is. Yeah, I think it's it is a really bizarre one because I think a lot of the time it can be flagged quite early on, but I think that mm. I think people don't, and I think as a as a society and as a industry, if we're just talking about digital marketing. I think we have moved really far forward, especially because of the pandemic, into like staff well-being, staff welfare, even just the fact that like, you know, not being in the office every day or um, understanding that like, you know, looking after your staff isn't 
free pizza on a Friday and free beers. It's, you know, um, the ability to to just have flexibility in their day or, or and things like that. But I think that there's a lot, I think, in, especially in like a startup culture. And like I've, I mentioned before, obviously, just like as another example, I used to work in recruitment for like a year. Worst job yeah. I ever had. Um, worked with some great people but it was literally my hours were like seven till seven every day i was on like i think it worked out salary wise i was on like less than minimum wage or something ridiculous um it was just it was just a crap job but ultimately there was no their goal was to just be as profitable and squeeze as much money out of every employee as possible and then ultimately i think sell business so yeah i think Unfortunately, and I think with a lot of different kind of models, whether it's an agency model or a startup model, the the main goal at the beginning is profit, it's revenue. And they think, oh, yeah. well, you know, we're delivering on it. We might only have 10 staff and we might, it, the pay, you know, on paper it says we might need 15, but, you know, we're delivering at it and everyone seems fine. Like they were all fine at, on, at drinks on Friday after like three free beers. And I think there's a lot of kind of, so it's kind of like out of sight, out of mind. And but I think the problem as well is that it then just takes like someone to just just either break or leave or whatever, and then that usually starts. To, Those starts dominoes to start falling, don't yeah, they? Yeah, exactly. It's a bit of a domino effect, and I think that's why that kind of confidence early on to kind of try and try and address that if that's happening or or you know like or have those conversations is important, but it isn't also just, you know, on the onus of, of that junior member of staff. It's it's a mixed right. bag. But I do think that unfortunately we'd I'd love to say that, you know, every single business owner there out there is is absolutely has staff well being at heart. And I think the good majority of them probably do, but then I also think that it just isn't always the case. No, I agree. I agree. It's a shame really. I guess we'll move on to the next question. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, we might get in trouble. Listen, I believe everyone's got a superpower of some description. What would you say is yours? I'd say, I'd say like determination. Actually, let 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 me ask you another question first. I'm going to go All off right. book here a bit. What would Oliver say your superpower is? <laughs> I actually was saying this to him yesterday, and he said you're a super nag. I was like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I think he'd say the same. I think he'd say like determination, but kind of in the sense that like I I very much think that there's if someone ever says to me, Oh, you'll struggle to do that or that'll be difficult or you know, you won't be able to do that for whatever reason, I really then will just try my hardest to try and do it. Like whatever. red rag to a ball. Yeah, like it, it, it's it's weird, really. I think, and if you asked me a couple of years ago, I would have never said that ever. But I think there's a lot of instances where I just think, I don't, yeah, I think I think that would be it. I think I'm really, I like where there's a will, there's a way with me. I think, and that's a major thing mm. that I will try and do, whether it's something in work or it's personal. It's like like personal example but like i like i really want kids one day obviously as, as a gay couple that's not going to happen in the most natural way ever and everyone's like well you know how's that going to happen how are you gonna and i'm like I, I we will have kids one day and whether that's through adopting or surrogacy or whatever i'm like 
I will research and I will make sure that if we want it to happen, we give ourselves the best chance that it will happen. Yeah. Because I just think that if it doesn't, or it, and it's the same with everything, like there's things I've tried and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do it, and it hasn't happened. But at least I'm like, well, I couldn't tell you another way where I could have tried to do that. And I feel like I kind of then just feel better about it rather than being like, oh, well, I'll never know. I don't know. So, yeah. Yeah. Determination is a good superpower, man. It's it's powerful. Mm, yeah, I think so. I think um, I think yeah. I I mean, like a lot of it comes from like my parents were like always very, you know, you can do whatever you set your mind to, kind of thing. And I think it like stems from a lot of that, where it was like, yeah, like I can, and then and then if it doesn't work out, at least I can say I gave it a fucking good go. Yeah. But I think most of the time, I think if you can just I don't know really. Yeah, just determination. I think determination and that kind of ability to try and prove, not prove anybody wrong, but just prove that I can do it if I set my mind to it, regardless of what it is. <laughs> I I'm, I'm the same, mate. I think if I'm kind of on the fence about something, all I need is somebody to go, nah, mate, you can't do that. I'll be like, Wah! <laughs> Yeah. Okay. We kind of covered it a little bit earlier, but what topic is guaranteed to get you on your soapbox? Oh, well, obviously I was, it's political, but I think more specifically, anything to do with like inequality, but especially like mm. whether it's like gender inequality, sexuality inequality, or like your like socioeconomic background. So like there's nothing I hate more and will get on my soapbox about um than like the class system or privilege whether it's like white privilege or wealth privilege or anything like that or judge or people that judge people from their background or where they grew up or what school they went to like i just it just angers me and i just don't understand it and i think yeah there's there's many a time i've met people that probably have very very different views to what i have and I just can't help but try and pick their brain on why they think that. On the why. Point. Yeah, on the why. Like, I can just, you know, there's, you know, there's obviously, everyone has different views. And there's, you know that there's people out there that are never going to change their views, no matter how much you can, you know, try and debate with them or try and reason with them or give them an argument. Those particular topics, I just... I can be talking to a brick wall and I'll give it a go. I just can't fathom it in a lot of people. Has that has that been born out of something? I mean, I guess maybe. I think obviously, like I, I, it's not like I came from like a very, very, like deprived background or anything. Like I'm from Blackpool, which has a lot of deprivation, um, and like you kind of see it growing up, and you know it's not. There's not a lot of like economic economic opportunities and stuff like that. But then my personal upbringing was, I think, quite privileged, quite fortunate. Like I never went without anything, went to mm. like a good uni. But that was just because like my mum was like, well, you know, work hard and you'll do it kind of thing. But I think a lot of it comes from, uh, to be fair, I mean, when I got to uni, so I obviously from Blackpool went to university in Leeds not very far. Mm. It's like an hour and a half drive. I didn't go. It's literally just across the country, still in the north. And I thought, 
you know, I'll be around a lot of like-minded people. I was doing a politics course, which I think obviously made, you know, heightened a lot of this kind of stuff. Yeah. And I just was so shocked at just how Leeds was quite, especially the politics course at Leeds was quite popular with a lot of like, I guess, what you consider very like privileged people, like have come from, you know, very privileged backgrounds. A lot had come from London, Southeast. And again, that's not a sweeping generalisation about anyone who is from London or the Southeast. But I think I thought I would be going into a situation very much like school, college, where I I didn't really, you know, I just thought I was going to be a, amongst a lot of like-minded people. And yeah, and there was ne- there was just a bit of I've never been. I think until that point, I'd never been proud to say I come from Blackpool because I think Blackpool has a bit of a stigma around it whether it's about donkeys yeah. on the beach or just that it's a bit tacky or that it is quite a deprived part of the UK until I got to uni. And then I'd never been prouder to have come from Blackpool and have been in the same room as these people that were telling me that, you know, their education costs a quarter of a million pounds and, and you know, that their mum and dad had got them an internship at this place through this person. And I think I just was like, well, we're well, sat in the same room and have got to the same place. I don't see how that makes you in any way more deserving to be here, apart from the fact that your parents have spent a quarter of a million pounds to get you here. Whereas I, I just, yeah. I guess university is a strange place, isn't it? Because it's the first point, I suppose, in many people's lives where they come from. It's like coming out that's that being the big fish in the small pond. There was something that pond being huge and actually a lot more fish in it. Mm. And it's like, I guess for a lot of people, probably, you know, these people you're talking about probably like hadn't experienced people with your point of view when they were at private school or wherever. Right. I guess it's the first point in most people's lives where they actually experience this stuff or open their minds, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I think it's um, it's interesting as well, because obviously the the course I was on, we were debating political stuff yeah. like day in day out so you i think you really got under the skin under the skin of like people's beliefs and stuff very quickly but it's the same with like like obviously sexuality gender all that kind of thing i think i just feel again i feel really privileged that like i'm like a gay man but like a white gay man and like that comes mm. with privilege in itself privilege in that i can't you know touch what i've never really experienced any major homophobia anything like that my family were all great my friends were all great coming out like i can't say i've had an experience that a lot of other people in my situation will have lived so therefore i just don't understand people that have such like a vitriol against like things like that and and it's yeah it's something i will just regardless of like i said if you feel like talking to a brick wall with somebody on it i just will always try to just reason with them or change their mind or just try and yeah get under the skin of why on earth they can think like that are, are you um are you now friends with anyone from that first week of uni that you were speaking to thinking oh my god who is this dickhead no <laughs> i think <laughs> no i think to, to be honest there's 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 friends and people like from my course that uh, to be fair, no, I, I'm friends with people from my course, but they didn't have those kind of views. Okay. But I think a lot of, like I said at the beginning, a lot of my, my core group of friends at uni were people that I lived with. Um, and we're a massive yep. mix of 
you know, there's some of my friends that are very, very privileged and come from really wealthy backgrounds and some less so. But I think it was just, I think there's people on that course that obviously, you know, maybe didn't change their view, but maybe had an appreciation of different things or, you know, like the whole point of that kind of going into that arena is like healthy debate and all that kind of thing. I think there's a lot of people that I just struggled to, just struggled to relate to and then struggled to, on like a personal level, I'm very much like, yeah. I don't know how we could be friends because I just very much disagree with a lot of your stances on, on not just like yeah. life in general, but like how I was brought up or, you know, how people I'm friends with were brought up. So, uh, no, not really. But I've, I have got good friends from that course. They just didn't necessarily have those views. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Tell me about some of the best pieces of advice you've ever heard. There's two, and I, I, anyone okay. who's worked with me will know this because I say it all the time. I think the first one is fake it till you make it, and not in the not in the sense like bowl into a situation with absolutely no fucking clue what you're doing and just annoy everybody because you don't. But I think a major thing, like I was saying before, is like I think a lot of the time, if you enter a situation with like a bit of a lack of confidence or like a lack of knowledge. You probably know enough to, I guess, like do the basics of whatever you needed to be doing. But also, yeah, you have the ability to ask and the ability to learn and the ability to improve. Like everybody does in whatever situation. But if you can kind of like fake it till you make it in terms of your confidence, I think that actually really, really helps. I think so much yeah. of um, especially being like uh, now I like have managed teams and managed people and stuff is you can work with someone who is unreal at their job and you think god you're so good and then you chat to them and you can tell that they don't feel that level of confidence or they don't they don't recognize it in themselves or they don't see it as a talent or whatever it might be and I'm like, if you fake it if you wake up and you tell yourself like do you know what i did a really good job last week and do you know what it's whatever you might have been doing last week it's not award-winning you might not have thought of you know the world's best PR campaign but I did a really good job actually at managing work and you know I cleaned the house twice and I went food shopping and I kept my dog alive and I did all this and did a decent job at work and you kind of fake that yeah. confidence until you believe it I really really think that has a real positive like impact on the way that you like conduct yourself and your decisions and like your confidence like in the workplace or out the workplace so yeah, I definitely say that one. And the other one is just that it'll be right. Like at the end of the day, like if anything goes absolutely tits up, like it will sort itself out in some form, whether you sort it or not. It'll, it'll be right. Yeah, it'll be right. Very Yorkshire, but it will be right. Well, no, it's funny. Think... So I, I was <laughs> I was in Sheffield at the weekend, um, and we went. We, me and my wife were in this. We were looking for pictures for the house. And there was we went in one particular shop and had all these prints up like it'll be rate. Yeah. <laughs> Don't yeah. worry, it'll be rate. Yeah, there's loads, and, uh... there's loads. Um, but I actually think it's true, and, and it's one that like, like I I never used to be like this. Like I was very much overthinker, worried about everything. Bit of, like bit of a catastrophizer. Mm. I'd be like, oh, well, if that this happens and this might happen, this might happen. And like loads of different people used to just say like, look, you you are literally stressing and like li like fully physically like impacting yourself and how stressed you are over things that 
are yet to happen, have not happened, will never happen. Like it will be fine. Yeah. It will it will be right at the end of the day. And I think it's it sounds really simple, but I think those two are ones. So how so how did you it 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 is simple, you're right. But also it's very complex. So how did you go from being that catastrophizer to actually it's all well and good someone going, Don't worry, it'll be all right. Mm. To actually I, believe in it, I guess. Yeah. I think there's there was loads of instances where I would catastrophize about all, all sorts of stuff. So even like, like, and I still do it to an extent. Like I think a couple of so a couple of years ago when we were buying our house, obviously like you know like when you're in the middle of a, a mortgage process, a house process, there's a million yeah, things yeah, that yeah. Could go wrong. You think, oh well, if if that seller doesn't move on that day, the chain, this happens to the chain, we're not going to get in the house, we're going to have to pay this amount of money, our mortgage could expire and I will just, I would have just I would just spiral and the thing is, is that I then am just not effective in any of those situations, like I yeah. am not useful at like practically and it would get to the point where like I would be making the situation worse and then there was a couple of instances where like me just spiraling out and catastrophizing made like a situation at work worse or i think it was i think actually a really good example was one of the early the, the first one of the first ever like corporate orders we had for flaming crap was um company i think they were based in they're in the netherlands or germany and they wanted a massive amount of candles like for us amazing big order you know good amount of revenue and i just couldn't yeah. get off fixating on the fact that how the fuck are we going to transport a thousand candles like to Germany? Like I had no idea. Literally, like didn't figure it out. Couldn't find a good way to do it that was like within budget or what we charged. And I just absolutely. And in the end, I nearly was like, no, let's pull the plug. Let's just not do it. It's not going to work. Very negative. And Oliver was just like, look, we will find out a way to do it. If we say no to this, we might never get another chance like this again. And then we kind of went on it. And then we that one order i think very much sparked like another and the corporate that kind of side of the business and also allowed us to learn from it like we probably didn't do them first yeah. early ones in the best way but we wouldn't have known how to change that otherwise and i think i remember like sitting back and thinking i really nearly like messed that up for us like like and that was just my own kind of brain doing it so i think it's very much yeah. kind of having the experiences where i have done it or nearly done it to kind of reflect on and think you know you wouldn't have got that opportunity if you would have let yourself kind of total it and just spiral out so i think it's just kind of self-realization yeah i'd say so yeah okay interesting so it's it's always a good question the advice one because you ask it Mm. and then always in the back of my mind i'm thinking yeah it's all well and good but like if how many times have we been given advice in our lives where someone tells us something, but then you don't enact on it or you can't see how to do it or whatever. So yeah. it's a bit of a double-edged sword, that question. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> if we spoke again in 10 years' time, Alex, and you'd considered it been a pretty successful decade, what would have happened? Ooh, so I'd be, th- old, I'd be 37. I, I'd be a dad. I think that would be a major one. Okay. I think that is like, obviously, like we're getting married this year. Personal goal: I'd love to have kids in the next ten years. I think okay. I would have found the time to do. 
I guess got to a point where financially I didn't feel the need to chase the next thing or the next thing or the next thing and be doing a lot yeah. more stuff just because I want to do it. Like whether it's writing that book or picking up the piano again or something like that. I think I love, love, like I said, like having flaming crap on the side and I love my job and work, I've worked really hard to like get to where I am in my job and still have lots of ambitions in my career. But I also yeah. know that a lot of that comes from like, just wanting to feel secure and wanting to feel like financially secure and kind of do that and i think i i do want that focus to have shifted i guess to yeah just more of that i guess being like happy with my lot like i think otherwise you can keep chasing keep chasing keep chasing and then I, like there's loads of people i've spoke to or you you listen to people on podcasts or whatever there's a lot of like people you deem massive success like in their career or whatever but I always, I always think like, what kind of downtime do they have, or like, what yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah. you know, how much time do they have with their kids or with their partner or, or whatever. And I think if I think for me, I want to just make sure that I can get to a point where I feel like I've done that, and then take the foot off the gas a little bit. Whether that will happen, no idea. But <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you're building out the foundations now for that to be a potential. Mm. you know whether that's going freelance in pr and having like one or two clients yourself or whether it's building out flaming crap to be a bit more but actually you're more of a managerial mm. view on it i don't know yeah no? yeah i think i think there are admirable goals and i've got no doubt you'll probably get there as well cool i know i hope so i hope so okay the last question for you alex is from my previous guest and he was Dutch, so he used the word kindergarten. But I guess for you, he's junior school teacher. So if you mm. were to tell your junior school teacher what you do today, would they be surprised? I don't think so, actually. No. I think I've always... I think if they understood the kind of storytelling, narrative, all that side of like yep. PR, and obviously how that's gone into... like. Uh, my business and everything I think they wouldn't because I think from day dot I used to just devour books stories write stories tell stories I would exaggerate in like show and tell classes because I thought of a story <laughs> that was a lot more exciting than what I'd actually done that weekend and it was really obvious to all the teachers but like they were like it's just funny yeah so I actually don't think they would be. I think they'd think, yeah, do you know what? That that makes a lot of sense, actually. Like, for fair play, I'm like, find a way to actually make a career out of it. Well, that's interesting. Because when he asked me that question, when he, when he told me that question, I was like, I've obviously thought about myself. Mm. And I wondered about other people. And I was like, oh, do you know what? It'd be, it'd almost be nice if whoever I asked that question to goes, yeah, it is. Because it kind of shows like almost like a natural progression or evolution i suppose mm. so yeah it's quite yeah. i'm quite happy you said yes yeah, no, <laughs> in I a think, weird way yeah i think uh i think like i said like i think i wanted to go into politics and working in recruitment i think the reason i like my job so much is because they were things i wanted to do when i was younger and i think when you're yeah. going through school and all that you think you know you're going to be a lawyer be a doctor be all these like it's arbitrary things it's not a career you think about and it is a nice feeling because it does feel quite yep 
natural and like yeah, it does go back full circle. Well, I can't think of a better way to end this podcast because I think it's it's lovely to hear you say that. Alex, I want to thank you so much for taking the time this morning, first and foremost. If anyone wants to come and say hi, where where's the best place for me to point them? Twitter, probably, at Alex Hicks and PR, or you can visit flamingcrap.com to see what candles we've got. I will link I will link to everything in the show notes, so uh, that's all good. Um, Alex, thank you so much. Like I said earlier, it's you know, I sort of followed you on social for a couple of years and I guess it probably says more about me than it says about you or anyone else. It's like you build up this uh, impression of someone from their social postings and whatever. And so actually getting to know you for this last sort of hour and a half or whatever it is, has been good for me because I've seen a different side to you that I didn't know and actually mm. uh, like even more so. So kudos on that. And uh, thank you for taking the time this morning to, to chat through all, all the stuff you've got going on. I really appreciate it. No, thank you. Cheers, Craig been a pleasure that was 10q interview with alex hickson if you made it to the end thank you i hope you enjoyed it i'm sure you did he was such a great guest really enjoyed talking to alex feel free to share any thoughts on any of the social channels at 10q interview everywhere you may look and as i mentioned in the introduction if you've got any positives out of it any value any inspiration any good thoughts about it make sure to leave a review rating on your podcast provider of choice That's all from me for now. Make sure you subscribe and follow wherever you're listening to this. And the next 10Q interview episode will be live in your feed very, very soon. Take care. Bye.